scripture readings from Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 10 to 21. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon be soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were, wit we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we, we started talking about this last week, Baptist distinctives. This is a nice way to help you uh, remember what those are with the word Baptists. And uh, Baptists, uh, what makes us what we are is uh, we stand on the word of God as our sole source of authority for, for, uh, for practice in the church, for what we believe. Uh, biblical authority, that's B. A, autonomy of the local church. Each church uh, is self-governing and uh, owns its own property. That's important. You see that is that these other churches are starting to have problems with the denomination owns the property, and so they control what you can believe or teach. And you see the mainline denomination struggling with that right now. As you have a denomination that's pushing things that are not biblical, and the individual church, you're caught captive, and uh, the pastors are actually caught captive because the denomination holds their pension, and they can actually take away their pension if they don't fall in line with the church. So uh, those mainline denominations are, are it's a problem. Uh, now, having the government and local church, that's a problem too, but we'll talk about that when we talk about that specifically. Priesthood of the believer. We go directly to God, and each person is a priest in the church. We all have priestly ministry in the church. There's not one that's better than another, right? It's all ministry for God for God and ministry of Jesus Christ. There are two church offices. Pastor, elder, bishop is one office and deacons. Individual soul liberty. Each person has the right and the responsibility to handle the word of God for themselves and to come up with their own their own opinions about the scripture. And uh Sam likes that. Uh, saved church membership. We talked about that last time, the importance of having believers, those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, profess the Lord Jesus Christ, 
evidence that with their lives as the members of the church, those who control the church and vote on things in the church. And uh, two church ordinances, that's the Lord's table and baptism. Obviously, baptism is in very important to the Baptist church. That's where the name came from, right? Baptizing individuals who have professed a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and professed him as Savior and Lord, they are then baptized. Um, and then finally, separation of church and state. Uh, Baptists do not uh, believe in there being a state church and in a state controlling what happens in a church. And uh, that is different than Lutheran, Christian Reform, Presbyterian, Church of England, and Orthodox churches, Roman Catholic churches. All those churches have been state churches. Baptists have never been a state church. Um, so those are, those are just uh, important Baptist distinctives, that's a nice way to remember it, and uh, that's how I remember it. Um, what I want to talk today about is uh, the first one, biblical authority. I was going to skip this one. We've, we've, I think I've talked about it enough, but I thought, just in case, maybe you need to hear it again, we'll talk about it again. And uh, so what I have done is I have given you a copy of the best Baptist confession, the second London Baptist confession from 1689. Okay, 1689. And all of it is on the Bible. That's just the first chapter. Okay? And uh, I thought we would read it together today, and I, I'll explain it, because it actually explains a lot of what we, what we believe when we say that we should follow the Bible and what that means for us as a church to follow the Bible. Um, just a background on the confession. The Church of England has their own confession called the 39 Articles. And I think that's from like 1563. Um, 39 Articles. Parliament then passed an act to revise the 39 Articles, this was the Long Parliament, and they produced the Westminster Confession. And that was 16... If all else fails, look at your notes. 1643, the Parliament called that confession, that, that body together, Westminster Confession. The Baptists then were not called together by an act of Parliament. Right? We don't believe in that. <laughs> and so the Baptists took the Westminster Confession and they revised it for their purposes. So you've probably heard the Westminster Confession before. The Baptists then take that, they revise it, they make it Baptistic, and that's where this statement of faith comes from. And uh, most Baptists today would look back to this and uh, see this as important to our history. So, first of all, um, these, the old confessions of faith were quite long, and if you could just understand the confession of faith, you've got a theological education. So, this is just a theological education today. I'm sorry you came out on a snowy day to get a theological education. Uh, so, first of all, notice chapter one of the Holy Scriptures. Point number one. 
The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Stop right there. That is what we believe. And a lot of Baptist statements today, that's all they have. And in a sense, that's all you need, right? The Bible is the only sufficient, right? The Bible is the only thing that's going to get you saved. Less than the Bible, you won't come to salvation. The Bible is the only sufficient. Notice, certain. It's true. It's for sure infallible it cannot teach you something wrong the only infallible rule of all saving knowledge this is what you need to know God this is what you need to save your life this is what you need to do everything that pleases God right here all saving knowledge faith what we believe and obedience what we practice now, this is the gist of everything else that's written in the statement. It's also the conclusion. So if you want to go to sleep, you know it now. What's different about the Baptists and their statement of faith is we start with the Bible. Baptist statements of faith usually start with the Bible. Many other statements of faith will start with something else. We start with the Bible. This is, this is where we're getting all our information from right here. How do we know anything about God? Through the Bible. What's important in our daily lives to be doing? The Bible tells us. How can I have a relationship with God? The Bible tells me. What should a church look like? The, tells, the Bible tells me what is necessary. Everything else is changeable. So a lot of things we do in church is changeable. For instance, we meet at 1030. Do we have to meet at 1030? No. We can meet at 7 in the morning. How would you like that? <laughs> the day may be coming. <laughs> the day may be coming if our culture goes completely secular. And they say, you know something? Sunday will be a day of work. And Christians might go, you know something? We're then going to meet at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning before work. Or we'll meet at 6 o'clock in the evening on Sunday after work. Okay, We might, we might not have a culture that uh, is so kind to us in letting us have Sundays off for worship. Um, how many songs we sing? What songs we sing? What instruments we use? All those things, those are changeable things, right? Free to do what we want. But there are some things the Bible tells us to that are not changeable. The fact that we have to read the Word of God. You have to do that. Tells us we have to. We have to preach the Word of God. Tells us we have to do that. We have to disciple people in Jesus. We have to do that. We have to worship God. We have to pray. All these things, we have to do it. He tells us we have to do it. The infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Okay, next little phrase. Although the light of nature... Works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, 
wisdom and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto creation. So creation can teach us things about God. I wrote down all kinds of things that creation teaches us about God. Uh, can, you, can you give me some? What does creation teach you about God? Power of God? Creativity of God? I love, I love the creativity of God. I was just thinking about this. I was putting this together. I thought, look at what God can do. He can give us a creature, a dog, and through one little creature, the dog, we get a vast variety how, how can a St. Bernard and a Chihuahua still be a dog, <laughs> right? They're different in temperament, they're different in size, and yet they're the same species. That's beautiful creativity just in one species, and then you go all the species that he's created. Just tremendous creativity. It's off the chart. What else can you learn about God? Majesty? What else? Wisdom? Okay, yes, Wisdom? Yes, you can learn about the love of God from creation. Uh, Jesus tells us he makes the sun fall on the just and the unjust. Therefore, we should love our enemies because God does. I wrote down this. I said, God's morality is written on our hearts. People have a sense of morality and a sense of right and wrong. And uh, they tell you that if they think they've been wronged. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has that. I don't think that's right because I don't like it. I don't think it's right because it ha what's happening to me. That's God's morality written on people's hearts. Yet all of this does not tell us how to have a relationship with God. You have to have the Bible for that, where he reveals himself so specifically to us. Notice the next phrase in the doctrinal statement. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers' manners to reveal himself. All kinds of different times and all kinds of different manners and ways. Right? Through dreams, through speaking, through angels, through words written into tablets, all kinds of ways to reveal himself. Declare that his will unto his church. And afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan, and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which makes the Holy Scriptures to be most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people being now ceased. Now, in the brackets, you have a number of scripture passages that prove that uh, paragraph that we just read. One of those passages is in your bulletin this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Let's look at that passage first. If you notice with me, verse 16. Verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's an incredible sentence. Um, everyone today who does not follow the Lord Jesus Christ, 
they would have to say that the Bible is cleverly invented stories. If you're not going to follow Jesus, you're going to say these are people making these stories up. And they're doing it so cleverly that it traps you, fools you, deceives you. And he writes this, he says, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories because we saw it ourselves. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is part of the revelation of God to us, that Jesus Christ came to this earth and that people saw God himself. They saw Jesus Christ. That's the revelation of God. Verse 17, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And there they are on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter says, Peter's overwhelmed as he sees uh, Jesus with Moses and Elijah. He's overwhelmed and he goes, let's make three tents for them so that we can honor and worship them. And then the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son. In other words, you don't worship Moses and Elijah. It's about Jesus. This is my beloved son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. That's the revelation of God. Directly, directly audible voice, directly to them. They hear it. And they say, we're not following cleverly devised fables and stories and myths. We saw it ourselves. We heard it ourselves while Jesus is standing in front of us. And now we're writing it down for you. Verse 19. We have the word of the prophets made more certain. You will do well to pay attention to it. So now Peter is affirming all of those prophets. He says, the prophets are for sure. Pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. Right? This is our light. Here's the light shining in a dark place. That's this world. Let's follow the light. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Follow the light until the day dawns. I think it's talking about return to Jesus. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. They're not making it up. This is not them deciding, I'm going to come up with something. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. It doesn't start with man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes this different. Comes from God, initiated by God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, and they produce what we are reading here. Um, every one of those scripture passages we won't have time to cover. Let's look at one more. I like Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 1. Not in your not in your bulletin. And if you don't have your Bible with you, you're allowed to use your phone. Actually, I like having the Bible on my phone. I've always got the Bible with me. I think it's great. Hebrews 1.1. In the past, 
God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That's kind of like what we just read in our statement. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Love that. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Listen to what he says in chapter 2. We must pay more special attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, that's Old Testament, every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord, Jesus Christ, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and in various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's this, the word of God. Let's go on to number two. And we've got ten minutes left, so you see we're not going to make it through it. Number two. Uh, This one will go fast. Notice, under the name of Holy Scripture, or the Word of God written, are now contained all the books of the Old Testament and New Testaments, which are these. And it lists all 66 books. Uh, I'm not going to read them for you. All of which are given by the inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. And that's 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Um, notice the very specific. They want you to know, here's what we consider to be the Word of God, and if it's not one of these books, it's not the Word of God. It's not Scripture. So therefore, the Gospel of Thomas, not Scripture. Book of Mormon, not Scripture. Uh, Usually in doctrinal statements today, they don't list them all. They'll just go, we believe it to be 66 books. And you supposed to be able to figure out, okay, we know which ones it's talking about. Number three, the books commonly called Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are no part of the canon or rule of the scripture, therefore are of no authority to the church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than any other human writings. So the Apocrypha is is included in the Roman Catholic Bible. And it's also included in the King James Version when it was first produced. The Apocrypha is a number of books produced between 400 B.C. and the time of Jesus. The books were all written in Greek. We don't accept them because they're never quoted by Jesus and never accepted by the Jewish people. The books, though, are valuable for the history of the Jewish people. If you want to read what happens to the Jews during the time of the Maccabees, and everybody should know those stories, that's found in the Apocrypha. If you want to read about uh, how devoted they are to God, that's a wonderful place to go and read um, how the Jews uh, are following God, even in the midst of tremendous persecution. So I write down, I said, the books are valuable for history of the Jewish people. They're valuable just like the writings of the early church fathers, but they are not authoritative. Number four, the authority of the Holy Scripture for, for which it ought to be believed 
dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. This statement is written in direct response to the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church believes that they determine what is the word of God. So when they say what is most authoritative, they say the church is most authoritative because the church decides what's the Bible and then we read the Bible. Okay, see that? The church is over the Bible. Then you have the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church does something else that is uh, more insidious. (laughs) They would say you can't even interpret the Bible on your own and determine the meaning of it We are the final interpreter of the Bible. So not only do we decide what is the Bible, we then decide what the Bible means. Right? Always dangerous. When when someone else gets to decide what the Bible means for you. Right? That's dangerous. That's every cult. So every cult, you usually have one person who is the final interpreter of the Bible. And that interpretation is the final word. That's why uh, you have cults usually with someone's writings. Uh, Dan was telling me about Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong. So therefore, what Herbert W. Armstrong believes about the Bible becomes the interpretation for the rest of the church. So then you follow his teachings. It's like that with uh, all of the other, all of the other cults. Uh, number five. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the Church of God to an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures and the heaviness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine and the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. So all of those things show, it's, show you it's the word of God. Yet our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority of, of it is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that convinces us it's the Word of God as He convicts our heart of sin. 1 John chapter 2.20 you don't, you don't have a need of any teacher because you have an anointing, the Holy Spirit. Number six, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Now let me just give you one caveat. I do think it's possible that God give us revelation that's necessary for life, not contained in the Scripture. For instance... In the book of Acts, there was going to be a famine. And the Holy Spirit told a prophet, there's going to be a famine. We need to get them money. Right? That's 
helpful information for life, I think the Holy Spirit of God can still do that today. Right? If it's a new revelation, there's going to be a problem in the world. Now's the time to get ready. Uh, you need to save your money because another part of the world needs help. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit can still do that today. That's not new truth about Jesus. It's not new truth about doctrine. But it's about practice in this life. Um, let's go on to number seven. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Do you agree with that? Some things are hard to understand. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yet, those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due sense of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. In other words, the gospel's clear. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. That's clear. Jesus Christ died on your cross for your sins. Died on the cross for your sins. That's clear. Your only hope in this life and the next is to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Clear. Like many things are so clear, you can't miss it. Some things are complicated. Yes. But some things are so simple that everybody can know them. Uh, by the way, the first Baptists were not scholars. They were hat makers, tinkers, tailors, cobblers who read the Bible and got their education from the Bible. And the simple were made wise by the word of God. And uh, so, yeah, what you're reading here is not necessarily the brightest minds in England. Just individuals who read their Bible and said, here's what we believe based on the word of God. Number eight. The Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages are therefore authentic. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them. Notice, finally to appeal to them, the Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. I love that because I know Hebrew and Greek. <laughs> I guess I didn't learn those languages for nothing. They're helpful. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God, who have a right unto an interest in the scriptures, commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation into which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Into the vulgar common language of every nation so that people can read the word of God in language they understand. Praise God for the translation of the Bible. Uh, even though I know Hebrew and Greek, I read my English Bible far, far more than I read my Hebrew and Greek Bible. Just simpler, easier. I can cover more material, and it speaks more directly to my heart. If I want to be very careful, I read the Hebrew and the Greek. 
remember once when I was a teenager and uh, there was a pastor in my church and he was quoting from the scripture. And uh, he, he quoted, he had one word wrong. He, I think he had a or instead of the, or he might have had the instead of a. And, and after the service, uh, an older woman who was a God-fearing woman, she said to me, she goes, misquoted the Bible. That's terrible. She, she goes, that's just terrible. And I thought, well, I wonder what the Hebrew or the Greek has there. <laughs> right? If you're going to condemn somebody on one word, maybe you want to know if that word is accurately reflecting what was in the original language. Um, one, of the, one of the best Bibles, not, not for study, one of the best Bibles and, and lovely stories that I've heard is the translation of the Holy Bible into the Living Bible by Ken Taylor. And it's not a translation. And what happened was Ken Taylor was riding the subway to Moody's Bible Institute where he worked every day. And as he rode on the subway every day, he thought, I need to translate the King James into a language that my children can understand. So every day on the subway, he took the King James and he translated it into simple English. That's where the living Bible came from. And I thought, that, that's so beautiful. A man just wanting to put the Bible in language that his children can understand. That's, that, that's what that's talking about, into the vulgar language. The problem was, as adults started buying the living Bible, <laughs> because they thought, well, this is a great translation, I can understand it. Uh, finally, number nine. By the way, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, those become important when you start to argue about the tenses of verbs or about one particular word. Uh, then you need to go back to the original. That's what the Baptist Confession says. Okay, number nine. I think it's right. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture is itself. Therefore, when there's a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture... It must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. So look for the passages that speak clearly and don't base your interpretation of Scripture on some weird Scripture hard to interpret. So for instance, many, many, many churches have gone astray by taking the book of Revelation as their key book. And uh, the book of Revelation is hard to interpret. And when you're basing your key doctrines and the practice of your church on the book of Revelation, who knows what you're going to come up with. And so some of those, uh, some of those cults, uh, they, they love the book of Revelation. They need to read more. Finally, number 10. I thought number nine, nine was the last. Number 10. The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined. And all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrine of men, private spirits are to be examined. And in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the preaching of David Ben. No. No. No way. Can be no other but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit, into which Scripture so delivered our faith is finally resolved. Okay, I've got a book from my library called Baptist in the Bible. Whole book on it. Here's what Criswell said. 
Baptists and the Bible naturally go together. It would be unthinkable to find Baptists apart from the Bible. As in our day, so in our past, there has been a strong trust and acceptance on the part of Baptist people for God's book. Baptists are a diverse people, but they are bound together by their common faith in Christ as he is revealed to us in Scripture. That's true. In conclusion, read it, believe it, and obey it. Let's pray.